for takeoff as the Travel Marketing Summit Early Bird is ending next Friday on September 16. Don't miss your chance to save $150 and more. Join the discussion with Destination Gold Coast, Tourism New Zealand, Queen Victoria Market, Kluke and many more. Head to mumbrella.com.au forward slash travel for the full scoop. Welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Callum Jaspin, and today we cover off Tuesday's mega day in media and marketing news with two really strong stories on both sides of the industry's coin. First up, a huge $4.5 billion deal between the AFL and its existing broadcast partners sees the rights locked up for the best part of next decade. You'll then hear about a big move in agency land as Clemenger Group brings together its Melbourne and Sydney Clemenger BBDO agencies and brings in a big foreign name to run the shop as Jim Gold departs. And then finally, we'll get a quick word from Banksy on his trip out west before we speak to Cartology's Managing Director, Mike Tyquin. Joining me today is creative and campaign journalist Kalila Welch. Hey, Kalila. Hey. And Banksy, as we mentioned there, Western Australian correspondent as well as acting and managing editor. Hey, Banksy. Hey, Cal. How are you going? I'm doing very well in the in the office today, which is nice. Got a beautiful view over. Well, I can only just see the sea from here, but I can see it. Those new digs look amazing. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good. Um, but more importantly, um, we should probably get straight into things because there's two pretty hefty topics to kick things off. Um, One of the biggest storylines of the year this year, the AFL has locked in its broadcast partners for the next decade. The media sections of the country's biggest mastheads, including our own, have got some pretty good mileage off this for a few months now. Um, Banksy, the AFL CEO, Gil McLaughlin, McLaughlin wanted this one sewn up before his departure at the end of the season. This was his third Rights negotiated, and uh, he was joined at yesterday's presser by Seven West Media boss James Warburton and Foxtel boss Patrick Delaney, as well as Seven's chairman Kerry Stokes and AFL chairman Richard Goiter on a telecast out in Western Australia. Banksy, I threw it to you there before I kept talking for a little bit, but can you uh, run us through the main details of this deal and I guess what has changed, if anything? I can, Cal. What a mark for Seven and Foxtel. Uh, the <laughs> AFL spoiled that nine offer pretty quickly, didn't they? Uh, what a goal indeed. This went straight between the sticks. A record seven-year, $4.5 billion deal running through to 2031. Uh, it's quite interesting. The contract's worth about $643 million a year to the AFL, and that's about a 35% jump on their 473 million the league will secure for the 2023 and 2024 seasons so it's it's a significant uh raise in the in the amount value i think what it means for seven uh there's quite a few changes as part of that deal under the new terms foxtel gets exclusive rights to all the games played on saturdays at least for the first eight rounds so that means no more Saturday night games for seven, at least for the opening eight rounds. More Thursday night games for the first 15 rounds and Sunday matches. Interestingly, Seven's got now the digital rights. Uh, they've been handed streaming rights to all of the games via its Seven Plus platform. That 
that's pretty significant. Every single AFLW home and away match, um, finals excluding the grand finals and preseason games are going to be aired on Foxtel's Fox Footy channel. Uh, there are no fewer free-to-air games than than there were previously, which is interesting. So there, there's no real change in, in the actual number. It's just the particular types of games that are going to different areas. Uh, Seven's going to continue hosting all the finals and the grand final. Um, and the two bonuses for fans out of this, which I thought was interesting, is obviously more games shown for the AFLW, the women's game, um, all 30-plus matches to be broadcast live on Seven. And uh, the Oz reporting that it could also pave the way for a 19th AFL team to be established in Tasmania. Yeah, the Tassie one's interesting. That's been um, on been talked about for a while. I feel like a lot of the, the press conference and what was discussed yesterday was kind of, well, obviously addressing a lot of the different storylines that were being built up by the media in the lead up. Um, one of those being the sticking point over that Super Saturday um, which has been done by the NRL um, for Foxtel with its coverage there um, somewhat successfully. Um, whether or not that's a good thing for fans is probably different. You know, I, I mean, since, ever since I've followed the AFL, there's always been a game on a Saturday night on free-to-air. But on the other hand, uh, more Thursday nights is also a win for um, for Seven because they rate pretty well, you know, it's... A lot of people at home, usually a good fixture on that Thursday night as well. So um, that's an interesting one. The, the the money was an interesting one because that has been, uh, I guess, something that the main thing that people were kind of waiting on because it obviously looked for a while like Foxtel and Seven had uh, that deal sewed up. Obviously, a lot more than what people were expecting. There was chatter that the AFL was throwing out that $600 million or three billion deal for what was expected to be a five-year deal. Um, people were saying the AFL was putting that out because that was the benchmark that they wanted. It looked like they weren't going to get that, uh, but then a few late deals or late offers, should I say, bumped it up. An observation uh, from watching the press conference was um, just seeing how uh, how I guess happy Gillan McLaughlin seemed about the price tag which he kept on playing up. Um, and how he was emphasizing how much he'd basically squeezed out of his partners who were sitting to the left and his and right of him. That's such a power move, wasn't it, for an outgoing <laughs> CEO to walk away from that? Yeah, and on the coverage as well, they kept on speaking about Gillen's um, Gillen's legacy that he's leaving behind, and you know this massive um, bumper payment, which will be good for the game of AFL. It's um, likely, um, well, I, yeah. It's, it's not great for Seven going forward and on one hand because, yes, it has locked itself into some, I guess, guaranteed ratings until 2031 when um, just before a potential Brisbane Olympics if it manages to secure that. But where is it going to have the wiggle room to go next? Um, Banksy, obviously uh, one of the main highlights this week, which uh, we've been discussing, was the last-minute roll of the dice by nine to capture the entirety of the package across its free-to-air and um, streaming platform, Stan Sports. Details emerged about that bid, uh, which I, I believe were said to be around the 500 to 520 million mark. Um, 
with the Australian also reporting that Paramount's bid was reportedly taken a little bit more seriously from the AFL, which uh, reportedly also matched that cash price of Fox 7 with other reports suggesting that it tabled a huge $6 billion 10-year deal. The Australian, which we should add, is also owned by Fox uh, sorry, by News Corp, which is a majority owner in Fox Hill, reported the AFL was nervous about the prospect of entering such a long-term partnership with a streaming platform that has uh, as basically an unproven entity um, in that top-tier sports broadcasting. What do you see as, I guess, some of the implications here for 9 and then 10 Paramount by missing out on this? I think, yeah, it's it's always going to be a bit of a struggle. I think 9 are lucky that they have the tennis and um, I think with Paramount Plus, uh, you know, they really could have used this um, this deal. That's probably why they were going a little bit harder and taking a, taken a little bit more seriously in the negotiations. Uh, I think this is the marquee sport in Australia. It is something that everybody wanted to be part of, wanted a piece of. So it is a bit disappointing and, 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 and sad for those networks that will miss out. And they need to kind of regroup at this stage and figure out what the next play is because it, the sporting uh, rights are very important to the success to a lot of these streaming services and networks. Uh, and I think they're really going to have to kind of consolidate now and figure out their next move, what the next sport is that they can they can go for because this is really now locked in and locked away from them. Um, I think, interestingly, uh, I, I was reading a report from James Madden, media editor for The Australian today, uh, saying that, you know, there was that issue of of how nine could possibly go for the sport when they already have the NRL locked up. Um, it was certainly to do with scheduling, how they would be able to show the NRL and AFL games at, which occur at the same time. Um, but apparently there was no indication, for, you know, once once the Australian Press Channel 9 about that, they categorically denied that they would ever consider dropping their commitment to the NRL. So that was interesting what came out of that. Do you think that's uh, a little bit of a News Corp trying to stoke a bit of fire um, with its partners on the NRL there, Banksy? <laughs> Who can say? I, I think the whole <laughs> thing has been, you know, it is, it is such a volatile um, decision you know for, for the networks they really are you know pinning a lot their hopes on these things so you know I think looking at it from the fallout of, of the decisions and what things go into it I think they really would have made a big play for this and the, and I reckon that nine probably would have been able to make it work somehow um, it's more a case of you know going through you know the the play-by-play now at this stage as to as to what happened so that's really what's coming up yeah, and I spoke to a few buyers for a, a short feature this morning, and then I also wrote uh, a potentially too long feature um, at the start of this week on what's coming up next for sports rights more generally. Um, interestingly, you know, we've got that that cricket um, sort of drama rolling on in the background with um, tennis and their contract with Cricket Australia, which is um, going to the federal court. And then also negotiations will be coming up at some point for the next two or three Olympics. Um, you kind of question with seven potentially overpaying at, to some extent for this deal, what capacity they do have to to then renegotiate there. Um, you know, you've still, also still a, 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 such a good win for seven. I mean, you've got to you've got to kind of t- 
take your hat off to them. They really went hard on this and made sure that they they secured it. So uh, I think that it says that of the $4.5 billion, uh, the cash components, just over $4 billion. So the rest is going to be free advertising from Foxtel and Seven. Yeah. Um, with the, with those Olympics, um, you've got two games coming up in Paris and LA, both not in fantastic time zones. So you're not going to get the success that Seven saw last year with the Tokyo Olympics. And then, but obviously the main prize would be that local games in 2032. And uh, for 10, um, it shows that their American owners have, you know, big intentions and they have the kitty to put forward for something like this. Um it's just unfortunate, as you kind of mentioned earlier, that they're now locked out of, I guess, two of those biggest rights with being NRL and AFL locked up for some time. You'd think they will now throw everything at the cricket, um, maybe yeah. the tennis. Uh, it'd be interesting to see where that goes and where both of them drop, um, whether, whether there's, a, there's a deal to be done there for Paramount and 10 to go with nine or maybe one of them takes, but all of it. Yeah, and one final point might be that, you know, with these um, incumbent partners going again, it shows that all the talk about the streamers coming into play, none of these big tier one sports have gone that way yet. So for now, still the traditional players. I know Foxtel has kind of transformed itself with its KO platform, but um, no big new arriving party in play for those big ones, Banksy. Coming up next, a new national Clemenger BBDO as Jim Goal is out and a foreign name comes in. After years of speculation, Clemenger Group has merged its two main Clemenger BBDO brands in Melbourne and Sydney, creating Clemenger BBDO Australia. Melbourne CEO Jim Goal has resigned, the agency said, as it has brought in Digitas UK CEO Danny Bassel. No, you don't need to get your ears checked. That is Danny Bassel, not the new Dentsu Media boss, Danny Bass. And she is an Australian and will be returning, though. Kalila, we've spoken about Clems recently on here as a few appointments have hinted at this move and we successfully read the tea leaves, which makes this not as much of a surprise as uh, it, it could have been. What's been the lead up to this and what are some of the changes? Uh, yeah, so as you say, Cal, um, there has been a few hints kind of leading up to this. Um, despite Clemenger BBDO um, say, um, saying that there wasn't going to be any big structural change, um, a few months ago, back in July, Jim Curtis was elevated from his role as Melbourne ECD to a national position as Chief Creative Officer. Um, the move was the first suggestion that the agency would be looking to provide an integrated creative offering. Um, and as I mentioned at the time, they said there was no plans to make any further integration. Clemenger Group CEO Les Timar did say at the time, though, that the elevation of Jim into the role was critical to the continue ev continual evolution of the Clemenger BBDO model um, and taking creativity to places it had never been before with the agency. Um, our next clue came a little bit later in August um, when former head of planning for Clemenger BBDO Melbourne, Jacqueline Witts, was elevated to a national role as Chief Strategy Officer across both Melbourne and Sydney offices. Um, and that came after the departure of Lillian Saw, who had been the Chief Strategy Officer for Clemenger BBDO's Sydney office. Um, so she took over that remit, expanding the role to a national role. 
And in the same month, we also saw um, Paul Reese jones appointed as Chief Brand Officer across Melbourne and Sydney. Um, again, at this time, the agency didn't comment on any future plans for integration, um, though it was clearly on the cards. However, uh, the agency did say that both Wits and Reese jones would work closely with the executive, creative and planning teams across both option offices to ensure a seamless transition into the new national roles. Yeah, I, I, just doing a bit of kind of canvassing around the uh, the industry, a few comments I can read out here anonymously. Um, one noted it's a disaster. One called it a shit show. Um, one mentioned that the move was five years too late. Uh, one mentioned that it shows the decline of Clems Melbourne. Um, after building such a strong brand, but I mean, but then on the other hand, there were uh, not many people knew about um, Danny Bassel or her history, or you know, it doesn't jump out uh, as a hire that you know incredibly, sorry, immediately makes sense. But with a little bit of a deeper dive, um, there was a comment from Les in there in the release. I believe he said. Danny's the perfect fit for this new role and her appointment is a coup for the group. A track record and seamlessly connecting data, media, creative and technology was exactly what we're seeking for the next leader of Clemenger BBDO. So if that's the direction that Clems are going in, then it does make a little bit more sense with her uh, with her past there at Digitas in the UK. Um, potentially something Clems have been wanting to do for a little while, kind of maybe follow that CHEP model a little bit based on the success that they've had there. Um, yeah, it just does seem a little bit strange for the, um, I, I guess, the Melbourne side of the agency, which has had such a success and is so big compared to that Sydney agency, which by all accounts is about 10 to 15 um, people or so. Khalil, what... What what's your kind of view on this? Does it kind of is it five years too late? Does it mirror anything that other agencies have been doing? I think um, something we've seen across the board um, seems to be that a lot of agencies are moving in this direction, bringing agencies together, and whether that is a result of you know agency brands not doing so well, or whether that is you know a genuine kind of look towards something that is more efficient and more effective and better suited towards client needs. Um, is hard to say. There is a lot of rhetoric in the industry at the moment that clients are increasingly looking for kind of holistic offerings, are looking more and more um, to work with kind of, you know, one one name rather than having multiple different, um, you know, agency brands, um, which is obviously something we've seen with Dentsu recent, recently um, when they launched their um, Dentsu Creative Brand, which was the merger of their creative and PR brands, um, headed up locally by Kirsty Muddle. Um, it's also it's also similar, um, something sort of similar to what we've seen at Leo Burnett as well over at Publicis. After um, after Melinda Gertz was elevated into a national CEO role from her previous remit as Melbourne CEO. Um, and after she left, Emma Montgomery, Sydney CEO at the time, moved into the national role, um, meaning that there is now the national CEO role with no um, head of each individual office. Again, moving towards more of a kind of integrated approach strategically. Nick Garrett previously had the Sydney remit included on the end of his Melbourne remit between 2017 and 18. 
um, after he left. That was again split with um, Pete Bozolkowski and Gail Weil taking on the respective roles. And then since then, Brent Kirby was appointed at the start of the year and Jim Goal in Melbourne two years ago, who has now left. Um, interestingly, Clement just said that Kirby is holding on to the Sydney CEO role, which um, well, doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you've got that Melbourne managing director role now in Julian Bell, but we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, on a final note as well, speaking of um, integration, I guess it wouldn't be Mumbrella Cast in 2022 without mentioning Dentsu. As it was reported this week, um, Wendy Clark, global CEO of Dentsu International, um, which houses all of Dentsu's agencies outside of Japan, is departing the group at the end of the year as the group transitions to a single integrated structure, um, one management team, discontinuing her role. The unified operation will be led by president and CEO of the parent company, Hiroshi Igarashi, Obviously, it comes um, at a time of interest locally with a lot of changes in Dentsu's Australian operations um, and Angela Tangus having now moved across to UK and I with no um, replacement for her on the horizon um, as she continues to oversee the market in Australia till the end of the year. Yeah, very interesting one that we've kind of been waiting to see how that plays out. Um, Obviously, only been there for two years, a lot of change over the last uh, year locally and globally for that group. So uh, anyway, let's um, move on. Banksy, we'll just get a few quick um, words from you before we go to the interview this week. You recently travelled over to Perth, taking on your expanded remit of Western Australian correspondent. You wrote a lovely long feature over the weekend. What were your kind of thoughts on the vibe out there? Well, thank you, Cal. I really enjoyed writing that piece uh, I think more importantly, meeting the people and the agencies there showed me how big a part these Perth agencies play in the media marketing and advertising space. They're delivering and they're not being looked over at all. I think more that they're being drawn on more and more to feed the East Coast with good talent, assets and creative work. And, and I guess now we're seeing they really are an important engine for the national industry rather than just a remote or separate entity. Um, so yeah, I, I was really impressed by the, by the move and and what I saw there. Yeah, brilliant to have you going out there, Banksy, and um, good to give Perth a bit of a shout out as it uh, often gets uh, overlooked by no no mean intention. Um, finally, coming up after the break, I'll be chatting to Cartology's managing director, Mike Tyquin. <laughs> Mike Tyquin, Managing Director of Cartology Woolworths Group's retail media business. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. Hi, Callum. Thanks for the invitation. It's great to be with you today. And brilliant to have you. So um, it's just over three years since Cartology launched, uh, ahead of the pack in terms of the growing retail media space. Um, it would be good for you, for those listening, to talk us through, I guess, just what exactly Cartology does and um, when you were proposed that brief from Woolworths Group, what that sort of looked like to set that business up? Sure, Callum. Uh, it's been a great three and a half years of, of three and a bit years. I've, I've loved every minute of it. Um, you know, I I got, I got a call in uh, very early 2019. I just left AdShell uh, about the fact that Woolworths was going to set up a retail media business. And at the time, I was, I was quite curious about that and was fortunate enough to meet a number of people in the group, including our group CEO, Brad Banducci, 
And what became really clear quickly was that, uh, you know, retailers the world over were starting to pretty quickly embark down this path. And there was a couple of reasons for it. And the, the truth was that most retailers already had the semblance of a media business, albeit usually not very well organized. You know, we had a very large and incredibly well engaged customer audience. Uh, a wonderful position around data because of the trust and, and the extent of that customer franchise and the channels, uh, you know, the in-store or increasingly digitally. So it was really those combination of things that actually need to be set up and orchestrated and organised and arranged. And then when you obviously have a, a business the size of a Woolworths, you, you can put a lot of horsepower behind that from a, from a capital and, a, and an intellectual perspective. So the job really is where we find ourselves today is we, we have this very significant omni-channel media platform that's powered by the customer franchise. Think of Everyday Rewards with nearly 14 million members powering the group along but powering this media business so that we can work with brands either in-store or online or increasingly now off-network as well uh, to really talk to them about it and meet their commercial objectives, whether it's customers or sales or category share and the like. So it's become quite a big business quite quickly. And certainly went on on our own, very significant moves in this area internationally, particularly in the US, Walmart, Kroger, Target in the US, Love Wars in Canada, and of course, all the major mm-hmm. retailers in, in Europe. So we've got ourselves to a good spot, but there's a long way to go and a lot more to do. Yeah, I mean, has, has it kind of the trajectory of the business, and I believe it was 29% revenue growth this year, um, it's about 300 staff now. Has that sort of developed at the rate that you thought it would or is that ahead of expectations? It's, it, yeah, I think, I think we, well, firstly, we're delighted with the progress. Um, the idea of is, you know, are we ahead of plan? I think, candidly, it's gone very well. Uh, not better than we expected, but probably because we, we chose very early on not to be too limited in thinking about what the scope of this business can be. I mean, there's things we're already doing now that we probably didn't see as being in scope three years ago, uh, particularly, you know, COVID as an accelerant would be an example. So we've seen obviously incredible growth in e-commerce. Woolworths has massively invested, hyperscaled its e-com platforms, its digital platforms. There's a lot more audience there. So that's opened up opportunities for us. Um, you know, I don't want to sound mercenary about it, but but that's the reality of what COVID's done, um, certainly for cartology. So I think there's things in the plan that we've executed and executed well, renewing and refreshing our in-store offer, uh, but certainly bringing our digital screens on, which was always part of the plan, standing up in-store radio, but moving into the digital space, we've definitely seen some growth there that, that, that you know, you have to say is ahead of plan because of the circumstances we found ourselves in, which we've been, again, fortunate to have the benefit of the group to power that along for us. And, and we've been able to, to, to come in accordingly and, and stand up product and, and capability there. And, and in terms of, I guess, working adjacently to the rest of the Woolies business and the marketing department, how, how much sort of integration is there? And were there aspects of the business that maybe sat previously within that Woolies marketing setup that have been brought across? It's a very interesting one. One of the one of the you know within our, our purpose, our values, and our ways of working at Woolworths Group. One of the, one of the the ways of working is that we work end to end as one team. Uh, it, it, cartology is an interesting business in that we're we're what's what's called a retail platform within the group, and that means effectively we partner very extensively right across the group, and that could be with Woolies X or brand and reputation as the group marketing capabilities called or the commercial buying team in supermarkets or now Big W. 
So we have all these array of of um, of, of partnerships. Um, I think people would understand listening to the podcast that when it comes to customers, that's clearly the, clearly the domain of of Woolworths marketing. That's you know those those relationships are incredibly valuable and incredibly important to us um, in the group. So making sure that those are not just preserved, but they're always enhanced. And the customers feel that they can have the trust in that relationship with Woolworths is, is is incredibly important. So, the platforms that engage with customers, yeah, absolutely, they're still very much, uh, you know, owned, controlled, and managed by by marketing or in digitally in the case of Woolies X. But you know, where we come in is we work in partnership and go, okay, well, what would the activations look like? Are these things going to be good for customers? Uh, and as a rule of thumb, one thing that we know to be true is if when we do activate for brands, if it's good for customers, it's usually good for the brand in terms of their results. So the partnering dimension is, is a massive part of what we do in Cartology in terms of working right across the group with a, in a range of areas. Yeah, and I guess in terms of that, um, for those who are maybe hearing about Cartology for the first time here or those who are a bit more familiar, um, speaking to some in the market, I think there the, the, the can potentially be um, some confusion sometimes around how Cartology does actually get to those customers. And you've obviously got this immense data set um, and, you know, 14 plus million Australians per week using using Woolworths. Um, could you talk us through, I guess, how Cartology actually goes from brand to customer uh, and then in turn how you can actually, you know, speak about the the... the I guess the precise nature of how you can then track the activity for those brands. Yeah, sure. So, the to think about the customer franchise. So that you know, in store we have over twenty million visits a week. We, you know, we're a very, very significant um, digital publisher as well. We've got you know, average weekly traffic across group websites of about nineteen million. Uh, so it's a very significant customer franchise there, and obviously the transactions that come with those. So we have you know a very significant data lake in the, in the group um, and what we have in our business we have we have certain uh, planning tools that sit that are relevant from a media perspective where we can look at you know category insights customer insights those types of things so uh, operationalizing those I guess would be the way I'd think about it in terms of okay well what is it that that our, that our clients are looking for in terms of the problems they're trying to solve and usually those those are some sort of some sort of dimensionality around acquiring new customers or retaining customers, uh, growing category share, those types of things. So, uh, and, and obviously, in in turn, growing brands. So we look through that lens and we're actually uh, working on some new tools at the moment in, in that space. So we'll have some more news on that as we get closer to Christmas. And then obviously planning through the channels. We've got a very, very big, diverse set of channels, as I said earlier, with classic point of sale and radio and screens and, uh, our, our fresh magazine, and then the digital channels, uh, sponsored search, and digital display, and the and the EDM part of the program. So it's then really the, the the trick is then curating those channels to deliver against those objectives, and then we have end of campaign reporting that um, reports against those objectives, and we're actually in the process of, of doing a rebuild there at the moment, and we'll, we'll have some news yeah. on that before Christmas as well, which is going to be pretty exciting. So um, this. The truth is, Calum, it's evolved quite a bit over three years. I think there's a level of sophistication I think we can go to again, even beyond where we are today, um, in terms of in terms of the targeting, what we what we can deliver. Um, so that's been a big work in progress for us over the last really three years, where we went from you know, a very 
um, a very basic model when we started the business to something that's in, in good shape today but has a huge amount more upside and we're far from the finished product in that regard. Uh, and it's something we know there's a huge appetite from our clients to see more of, uh, particularly against those, those, those objectives. And that's really where the huge, huge amount of focus is going at the moment. And then, in terms of you know, you speak about your clients. Are you are you still are you still dealing with media agencies on behalf of those clients, or are you selling to clients direct? Is it sort of both? Uh, what what does that relationship look like? No, mostly it's mostly direct, um, Callum. And this is probably something that surprised us since we started. I think, I think we we felt earlier on the journey that we'd be more agency focused than we are, and and that's really been the outcome of the way the brands want to work with us one of the one of the interesting dimensions of this business of course is that for most of the brands we work with as as you know as suppliers to Woolworths supermarkets or Countdown in New Zealand or now Big W you know they have these incredibly in, in a lot of cases with the brands relationships go back decades um, with the group now we're very fortunate because of our relationship I mentioned the partnerships we have around the group earlier one of those partnerships is with, is with the Woolworths supermarkets and Big W and Countdown commercial teams the buying teams so we have insight into what's going on from a category and product planning perspective um, very very early and, and oftentimes what we found is it makes the most sense to align to those plans and and that's just I mean to be quite frank happening very, very early and, and oftentimes ahead of when agency planning is taking place. Uh, and so the ability to stitch these plans together directly with the brands sort of has, has to mutually, I think, worked out for the betterment of everyone to this point in time. We have an agency team, to be really clear. Um, we absolutely do work with agencies and we, we see that as being an important part of our business going forward and a growing part of our business going forward. And certainly, you know, with the acquisition of Shopper Media will be an even more important part of our business going forward. So, um, but equally, we, you know, we're seeing uh, agencies standing up and, and more probably internationally than we are seeing here locally at the moment, retail media capability, specific retail media capability being built in some agency groups internationally. So that's that's one that's on watch for us as well. Yeah, and we saw um, uh, Hatched, um, launching new Sydney office and they're kind of going down that retail media specific angle you mentioned there. Have you, have you, I guess, from the market, have you had any sort of, I guess, feedback from agencies in the market more generally in the fact that I guess that there is this new channel which is growing at such a rate uh, which ad dollars are no doubt being taken away from other channels and maybe these agencies aren't getting a chance um, when you are dealing with those brands directly? Yeah, I'd probably reframe that. If we had any overt feedback, probably not like that. Um, but, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, we, we look at we look at our clients as you know, and, and as it relates to the agency engagement or model. I mean, they're they're our mutual client, so it is a little bit of a different relationship because we have this you know um, principle to principle relationship with brands that, that we get because of Woolworths. It's a little different than other publishers, so the, the dynamics a bit different. Is probably the, the point I'd make. It's not quite the same as certainly even my previous experience. So it is a little bit different, and, and it's an adjustment. I think it's just a sort of another another turn of the wheel for the industry, and another an, an, another new um, set of dynamics um, as we sort of periodically see see thrown thrown at everyone. So as I said, uh, you know, it's it's predominantly direct at the moment. 
that's not to say it will always be that way. We have an agency presence. We want it to be bigger. It will be bigger in time. I think your, your point about Hatched is a really good one. Uh, you know, we'll watch, look forward to working with those guys. And we already do, I should say. Um, and we'll see if mm-hmm. there's more adjustment and different new models that pop up, which I'm sure there inevitably will be. I guess to your point there with um, the uniqueness of the, the the clients that you work with, uh, first of all, having those existing relationships and then the specificity of it, what's that been like growing the business? Are you, I guess, have you been taking learnings from maybe the growth or the shape of another media business or is it sort of uh, taking learnings from those, those, um, those international players you mentioned or is it sort of a case where because you've been potentially ahead of the market in Australia, you've been able to sort of tinker with things a bit more. All of the above, Callum. Um, <laughs> where, where do I start? Uh, yeah, learn, learning as we go. As I said, I, I think, as I said a moment ago, I, I, I felt that we'd probably have more, we'd be more agency-oriented than we are. And that's not to say that what we've done is not right. I'm very happy with where we are. Uh, but I did think we'd be more agency-oriented than we are at this point. And that's okay. Um International learning is a big part of what we do. It's it, you know, one of the great things I've seen since I've, I've arrived in Woolies is it's it's the learnings, and I think also accelerated by COVID. You know, retails around the world are sharing in a whole range of areas, and retail media happens to be one. So that's that's been quite good. Um, but I, I don't think we've been averse to trying things as well, and the same is true, I should say, with with the brands we deal with. We're seeing them now having teams that didn't exist two and three and four years ago, when we, or two or three years ago when we started, you know, e-com teams and digital teams and data teams, and um, you know, a lot of a lot of desire to build capability in that sort of digital digital e-commerce um, and, and data science area. So that's been helpful to us as well because that gives us more opportunity to have more interesting and different sorts of conversations. We're seeing different structures start to emerge with sort of omni-channel marketing type capability in some of these businesses as well. So a whole range of, sort of reactions going on to the environment. I, mean, I think I think not all driven by the emergence of retail media too. I think, I think, as I said earlier, COVID's been a factor and as we've seen a lot of our clients um, start to grow the e-com uh, share of their business quite quite dramatically. They've wanted to. Um, they've really wanted to make sure that they're capitalising on that opportunity. So I think there's a range of things happening at a retail industry level that that also are relevant to our space. And it's the two coming together. And we, we're sort of constantly yeah. asking ourselves all the time: Have we have we got the right model here? Are we set up the right way? And it, it'll evolve further. I've got no doubt about that. And then in terms of the, the wider sector, we saw um, PwC, uh, I think, estimated the industry around $850 million um, a month or so ago. What do you see as, I guess, the next step for that industry and um, Cartology being a main player in that as well? I, I, the first thing I'd say about the, the PwC numbers, I mean, I'd encourage everyone just to sort of put square brackets around those numbers. I think the, the mm-hmm. key thematic is it's big and getting bigger. One of the interesting things, Callum, that we all need to think about, and we're certainly on the front edge of this thing earlier um, in this market, is what's the classification, the taxonomy, if you like, of retail media? How, how do we think about it? So, you know, as an example, um, with our acquisition of Shopper, is that still an out-of-home business or is that actually a retail media business? Um, how do we think about that? So I think when it, you know, I know we all like to in, in, in this industry classify and categorize and 
put revenue into buckets and things like that. And that's helpful because I think it gives us all a yeah. sense of size and scale. But but I think there's some interesting things we've all got to get our head around. It's probably like 20 years ago, you know, the emergence of digital. There'll be ways that we need to think about these things and there'll be sort of norms and, and, and um, frameworks and standards that will develop over time. I think we're really, really early. So for me, it's, you know, again, the, the PWC piece is thought-provoking on that front. I, mean, I wouldn't get everyone to get too carried about the, the specifics and the number other than to say whatever you believe is in that square brackets number, it's it's a pretty big number and it's going to get bigger. And there's plenty of opportunity. The, the other the other thing I'd say is, well, we know this to be true given our, um, our Woolworths supermarket experience uh, in food and everyday needs versus, say, Big W, is I, I think retail media will have many parts to it depending on the category you're in. The retail category, you uh, it'll have different dynamics because your customers are a bit different, because the channels you'll have will be a bit different. So there's a whole lot of things still to play out. I think it's still incredibly early stage, but it's ex- it's exciting for all those reasons at the same time. Yeah, and you you kind of um you mentioned before the the shopper acquisition. I know there's probably a lot of aspects to that which you can't uh, go into right now, as it's obviously still awaiting that. Um, that uh, completion later in the year. C- can you give us any insight as to, I guess, what what it does offer um, cartology, though, the thinking behind? I know there's obviously it gives you real estate in 400 shopping centres. I believe it was 2,000 screens. Um, yeah, if you, if you could, I guess, shed any light on that, that would be great. Yeah, well, the first thing to say is we, we like the business and, and clearly incredibly respectful of the job that, you know, uh, ben and, and Ed have done over six or seven years in building our business from absolutely from scratch. So uh, with a great team of people that they've, they've now got and have achieved some incredible success over that period of time. So that's that's the first thing to say. And, and from that, just to make the point, you know, yes, we are buying screens, we are buying imagery, but we're buying all the capability um, that comes with it in the people and the platform. I think a lot of people make the mistake buying out-of-home businesses that, you know, they think that it's buying an estate of, of signs. Um, but yeah. you know, we've certainly got a view that there's more to this business than that and there's more to this opportunity than that. Um, for us, really, you know, all going well with the ACCC, you know, it's a great opportunity, we feel, to, you know, extend our proposition in, in a very sympathetic way um, that will be really helpful to, to clients, particularly FMCG and everyday needs clients, um, we'll, we'll be able to deploy certain aspects from what we, how we think about our, our customers in terms of data that will also be, be really helpful as well. So, look, it's, it's still probably a little bit early to, to go much further than that, but uh, we like the business, we like the team, we look forward to welcoming them to Cartology or going well, the ACCC, um, and, and we'll just see what, what plays out on that front and, and um, all going well, we can get the clearance and, and um, have more to say about our plans down the track. And I guess part of that is um, going back to a bit of your your heritage in in out of home, Mike. Um, uh, you, you mentioned at the top of the podcast your departure from Agile in two thousand nineteen. I'd be interested, uh, I guess, on the wider out of home industry. What's your, I guess, sort of take on the the uptake of digital out of home advertising in Australia? Do you think it's, I guess, taken too long? Um, kind of, where do you see that now? 
Uh, look, I, I still follow it to some extent. I, I disclaimer: I'm, I'm not clearly not as close to it. As, I mean, we have a very large screens business in cartology, but we, we do think about it a little bit differently. Uh, it's a channel for us. Uh, you know, clearly, got a lot of time for the industry. Spent a lot of time there. Um, have a lot of regard for the the people in it. I think I think the Australian out of home industry has actually developed pretty well over the last decade or so. I think the investments in digital have been actually reasonably thoughtful. Um, you know, clearly COVID has been an incredible interruption. I mean, like nothing anyone could have imagined. And, and there's still some big challenges, I think, to some of the formats. Um, I've, I've been a believer for a long time um, that the yeah, out of home, again, is a, 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 uh, it's a catch-all term for for a bunch of different different businesses and, and that their dynamics actually within the industry are quite different, you know, whether you're in retail or whether you're in, either a large format or small format roadside or whether you're in the transport categories, the dynamics are quite different. And we'll see more of that, I think, in a, in a sort of post-COVID world where you, you will see some, um, you know, probably separation about how those those different categories perform, perform and what the opportunities are. I mean, the, the challenge is how much more digitisation, what are the returns look like, can, can, you, keep, um, can you keep investing, but... Um, Look, I'll leave those that, that for those in the out-of-home industry um, to consider um, as they go yep. forward the next cycle. Well, Mike, it's uh, it's been brilliant having you on the podcast. Uh, that one went very quickly. Yeah, it has uh, time's flying, Callum. It's great to great to keep in touch, and it's been you know uh, obviously have the time to discuss our business that we we um, as I said earlier, a bunch of us are really enjoying spending time in and. Um, Learning as we go, as I said, we know there's a lot more to do. It's still relatively early days, but um, we feel really positive about the future and looking forward to working with more and more brands. Brilliant. We'll see you next time, Mike. Thanks, Cal. All the best. And that's it for another week on the Mumbrella Cast. Please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast platform and leave us a review if you enjoy the show or if you have any feedback for us. We are always welcoming of it. Thanks, Ian Kalila. Thank you again for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. (laughs) And thanks again to Mike. See you next week. See ya.